Welcome to Geek Salad Classic. I am your host, Jay LaRock. This podcast is powered by ObsoleteGamer.com and the Mascot Studios Podcast Network. You can find this podcast on Himalaya, iTunes, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. Here on Geek Salad Classic Series, we feature interviews with developers, programmers, and gaming experts on the subjects they know best. Now, as you will see, some of the questions and answers are dated because maybe the game was in pre-release and sometimes it was even at the beginning of its crowdfunding stage. But we still think the discussion was fun and informative and it'll be something you like. And I hope you will. So without further ado, here we go. Uh, but we're here with Brad Smith. He is a video game developer, a musician. Brad, thank you for coming on the show with us today. Hello. Now, he has a great Kickstarter that is dealing with the NES. Uh, he has a game calling out, coming out called Lizard. And he has been dealing uh, with classic games for a long time. But first, we're going to start with his background. Um, he's been uh, playing a lot of classic games, been into the NES. Can you tell us a little bit about your gaming background? Um, well, I guess it started when I was a kid. We got an Atari ST when I was, oh, I don't know, like four years old. And that was that was the very first like games system that I had of any kind. Uh, there are a lot of games. Actually, one of my favorite games on that was Bubble Bobble. Uh, if, if you've played it, you could probably see some of the visual influence that it had on on Lizard. Um, just the little the little dinosaur characters hopping around, bouncing on bubbles. Um, yeah, that game was really neat. That was one of the first games that I ever played, like, all the way to the end. Uh, my dad and I, we used to play it quite a lot. And uh, actually, when I was, when I was like, I guess five years old or so, uh, my mom made us um, little dinosaur costumes for Halloween, like me and my sister and my two cousins. And we went out that way. Um, but, like, to me, I thought I was dressing up as the characters from Bubble Bobble. I don't know if my sisters thought that or anyone else, but that's that's what it was to me. Um, so, yeah, I played a lot on that. I had uh, I had an Atari 2600, um, and I had a Sega Master System. I never actually had a Nintendo. I, I had a bunch of friends that had it, and, you know, I would go over to that house and play Mario or or uh, other things. Uh, Blades of Steel was always good um, for like a two-player uh, kind of thing. Um, I think I think where I started to play the most eventually got to like the Super Nintendo era, and that I think that's sort of the source of like my my sort of all-time favorite games. Uh, like Super Metroid, I'd say, is probably one of the biggest, um, probably my favorite game of all time. Definitely a great game, definitely. And, uh, but, you know, before that I had, uh, like when Super Metroid was coming, like I knew for, for months and months and months I'd been reading about it in the magazines and stuff, uh, and I guess it was because, like, I had a Game Boy and I'd played Metroid 2, and, like, Metroid 2... Well, that's probably, I would say it's my favorite game on the Game Boy. Like, it's really, 
uh, was really neat. I guess around that time, um, Alien 3 had just come out in the movies, and sort of, uh, I was starting to watch Alien, Aliens, uh, like seeing those movies for the first time, it sort of really got me into that, uh, that sort of theme with the space and aliens and, um, and so I was, I was really interested in Metroid 2 when it came out. And, and it was one of those, like at that time, you know, I didn't really know anything about a game when I bought it. It just, you know, you'd see an ad for it on TV or you'd look at the box and it'd look cool. And, you know, it'd be your birthday or something. And I said, you could have one of these, but just pick one. <laughs> and you were kind of taking a risk because back then that's all you did know. You know, you're looking at an yeah. ad and a lot of times there was a picture and they would stage it very well. But you had yeah. no idea if you were getting a piece of crap or not, you know. But luckily, NES, uh, well, the Super NES, especially, had a lot of great games. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's how I got into Metroid 2, and it, it was it was a really great game. Um, it has a very unique soundtrack. Like, I don't think, I can't think of any game that sounds like that. Uh, I don't know if everyone likes that soundtrack, but I, it's, it's just really, uh, really cool, really distinctive to me. Um, so yeah, the Super, Super Metroid was a good era. I got really into the Squaresoft RPGs, um, when I, um, yeah, when I first played Final Fantasy 2, I guess Final Fantasy 4 now, um, back then it was called Final Fantasy 2. Yeah, it did get confusing, right? It's a little weird. Um, but that really got me into, like, the, the Japanese RPG style, um, and for a long time, that's what I wanted to make. Like, that's sort of why I got into video game development. Like, I wanted to make an RPG like that. And um, so I was learning to program. Um, I had been programming a little bit since I was a little kid. I found, like, a, a book for, for kids for basic programming oh, man. in the library. And... Yeah, my dad showed me how to use BASIC on the Atari ST, and I'd, I had made little things um, growing up, and I sort of learned a lot like that. Uh, but yeah, it was um, it was the desire to make a JRPG, basically, uh, that got me to learn all the things I needed to know about game development, like sort of teaching myself how to program, teaching myself... You know, how do you deal with hardware? How do you deal with video and timing and, and interacting with, uh, you know, the human who's playing it? And, uh, yeah, actually, like, the year I got, we had Internet. Um, what year would it have been for me? I don't know, around 1997, I think. Uh Suddenly, when I had that, I suddenly had access to all sorts of information that um, I never would have had before. So, like, all the progress I had been making up to then, you know, I'd have, like, old books from the library and and just teaching myself, trying things, seeing what happens. But all of a sudden, um, just vast amount of resources, and it's new stuff. There was a thing called the uh, PCGPE which I think was the PC Game Programmers Encyclopedia, which um, it just had a big collection. They're all like text file documents, 
but just on various game programming topics, uh, you know, like how to control, um, how to how to write for the VGA video signal, how to how to do like ad lib um, synthesizer programming, uh, which is like the common sound device for music back then. Um, all sorts of things, and I learned a tremendous amount in just like a year or two. Um, it like just accelerated my my growth in that respect. So from early on, you knew that you were gonna you really wanted to go into actually working and programming to create games. Yeah, when I was when I was younger, I used to dream about like games that I could make. Um, I think as I got older, like. It's, so I went to school, I did a, a degree in music and a degree in computer science, sort of at the same time. Um, and by the time I was done with that, I, I was sort of realizing that like I really like uh, the challenge of programming, just making things work. Um, it wasn't as important to me to uh, like design the game or or like, be in control of where it's going, but I really liked just solving the problems of making it happen. Um, and so, like, after school, like, I applied all sorts of places, um, but I ended up being hired uh, by this company called Obsidian Entertainment um, ah, okay. in Orange County. So I worked there for a couple of years, and, like, they were my first job. It was a great company to work for. Um, yeah, well, we worked on a. I worked a long time on an RPG that eventually uh, was canceled, which was actually set in the Aliens universe. So I don't know. It, it was a long time one of my favorite movies, like favorite series of movies, but also one of my favorite movies. Um, so that was a really neat project, and I mean, even though it eventually like it didn't make it, but I learned a tremendous amount from from working on that project. Um, and I did some other stuff with them before uh, I moved back to Canada. Um, since then, I've, I was involved in a startup company for a couple years. It was called Killspace Entertainment. And we did a bunch of sort of little things. But, uh, oh, sorry, that's my phone. Um, we did manage to release one game, which was, uh, I guess, a, a sequel to Yar's Revenge. Oh, from nice. 2600. Great um, game. Great game. So it was like a... It wasn't... Like, it was inspired by the original, but it was a um, sort of on-rail shooter. You're this fly girl who zapped crabs and stuff. Uh, it was kind of... It was a little small game. Um, I think uh, so. We did that, but the I don't know. Startup companies are pretty difficult. I learned a whole lot about how that <laughs> works from doing that. Um, so the company eventually fell apart, but you know, I I would do it again. Like it was it was a great experience, and uh, I made some really good friends 
doing that what, as well. What was it that really got you into the to the music side? Because I one of the things that uh, we really love uh, is listening to like uh, not only the original music from NES, even Genesis, and and even older games. Like I, I for some reason I love like on the the old Spider-Man that that uh, game that they came out on the Atari ST and the Amiga. But uh, the remixes, um, like uh, uh, Overclock Remix and stuff like that, and I was reading on the Kickstarter page about how you were in, uh, got inspired uh, to start uh, wor working with the NES music. Uh, but how did that come up? Uh, how did that come together for you to start working with that music? Um, yeah, well, okay. So I, I, uh, I guess, well, when I was a kid, uh, I had piano lessons when I was pretty young. I sort of, I kind of hated practicing piano for a long time, but um, at some point in my life I started enjoying it. I more wanted to write music than I wanted to um, perform, I guess, but, um, and so I was, you know, like that's another, so I was always sort of working on programming, trying to make little games. I was also, you know, like writing little pieces of music growing up. Um, but yeah, I always really loved the music in, well, I didn't love the music in every video game, but I, I mean, like, some of them had really, really great music, and it was, um, it was in styles that you, you didn't hear anywhere else, especially, like, um, I guess just, like, all the limitations of, of trying to work with, like, three channels of square waves or whatever, it's, you have to pull out different ideas. You have to think in a different way, composing for that. Um, like to to orchestrate well on the Nintendo, um, you need to... You can't just play notes on the piano and then translate them right to the thing. Like you have to think about um, how to put sounds in different sort of... Um, you want them to be distinct and working together, and I don't know. Um, so there's a lot of, I think, creativity that just came out of those limitations. And so I've always been into, like, chiptunes and stuff. Like, I, I've been listening to, like, emulated soundtracks as much as I listen to other kinds of music. Um, but, yeah, around... Um, I guess around 2006 or something, I, I ran into a program called Famitracker, which um, it's this wonderful program for making NES music. And I played with it for a little while, and I decided to make a cover of Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd, which, you know, is one of a, a great album, but... Uh, I just wanted to, yeah, to try that, to try and translate it into some other form. Like, I'd done um, a lot of transcriptions in the past where, like, I have a band with me and a few friends or something, and I want to, a lot of times we played video game music, so I'd transcribe something from a video game into, okay, how to make this work for bass and guitar and drums, um, that kind of thing. And so I always liked taking one piece of music and, and translating it into another form and seeing how it holds up, um, trying, to, uh, trying to create an orchestration that still works 
even though it's a totally different set of sounds. Um, so I like that kind of thing. So I, I tried to do it for that. I, I did like half of it uh, of Dark Side of the Moon, and then I put it on the shelf for a couple years. And then I think it was around, I think it was 2010, where I just looked at it and I'm like, I, I, I was enjoying it and realizing like nobody's heard this because I've never released it. It's because not finished. So I was like, I should just finish it. So I, I finished the rest of it and put it out and it got a pretty good response. And I was pretty happy with that. Um, but like the feedback from that, um, I started talking to other people who make chiptunes and stuff, and I sort of got interested in that scene. Um, and yeah, and eventually that drew me into programming on the Nintendo, because like, there's just so many things that... Um, like, emulation is good, and it, it plays back... Um, you know, it gives a, a good... Um, it shows you what the system does, and usually um, emulators are only as good as the games that people want to play on them, basically. Uh, once once it works, once it looks like what you think it should look like, like you sort of stop, um, you stop the emulation at that point. You're not looking for effects that, that are true to the system but don't matter to anything that you would try to do. Um, but with a bunch of people who are who are trying to make new music on the Nintendo, there are always questions about, well, what happens if you do this? Like, if you turn this off when this is on and and play with these factors, what happens? And sometimes nobody knows. And, and so I was starting to think, like, well, you know, like I'm a programmer, I know how to work with these things, I should. I should get a Nintendo and, and try it out and actually find out what happens. That's where the research comes in, where you actually have to get into it. You know, you can't just use the emulators. You have to get the system itself to do the research. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I bought a Nintendo. Actually, I also bought a Famicom. A lot of the unknown stuff was having to do with um, the Famicom. Um, it had two pins on the cartridge that sent the audio through the cartridge which the NES didn't have. They took that out when they made the North American version. But um, some cartridges, they would have extra audio hardware inside the cartridge. And I guess it was expensive to make, but, I mean, maybe maybe it sold your game better. Um, you know, there are a few games with some incredible soundtracks, like um, the Japanese Castlevania III, uh, Akumaju Densetsu. It's, yeah, it's got three extra sound channels, and it's this great, thick Konami soundtrack, and it just, you know, you'd never, you couldn't hear it in North America because we didn't have... Just because they didn't have pins on the cartridge to let you do that, but um, a, lot of, a lot of these um, expansion audio devices, like, they just weren't... Um, we knew enough about them to give a reasonable facsimile of the sound, but... Uh, some of them, there were just some gray areas about, like, what does this do in this situation or that situation? So, you know, I got a collection of, of all the different cartridges I'd need to test and, and try them out. And, yeah, I started maintaining... Um, there was an emulator called NSF Play for playing Nintendo music. And 
I found the source for it, and it's open source. So I and it had been sort of abandoned. Um, I don't know when, like 2007 or something like that. So it hadn't been touched in a while. But I was looking at it, and I thought I'll start maintaining this. And I I added the ideas that I um, like new things that I was learning about the hardware and adding it into this emulator and just sort of keeping that going. Um, yeah, and in the process, like I just I really started to like the Nintendo. It's a neat machine. Um, it's very limited, but it's just it's it's this perfect balance between being um, awkward to work with, but also just powerful enough that you can do a lot of interesting stuff with it. Um, and like it's and I don't think you can say that about later systems or previous systems like the 2600 is not powerful enough like your your game is always uh, very limited by what it does and then like on the Super Nintendo you're on the other side where it's powerful enough to do almost anything you want you know like up to a certain point but you making a game for it, you don't feel like you're um, bound to what it can. It's like right on the edge, where it's like, can I do this? Can I not? I don't know. I only have this much RAM or this much space. So there's a lot of just trying to find a solution that works well for the system, and I I've been enjoying that. Yeah. And then that seems like a perfect segue as far as the game that you that you have together on the Kickstarter that you have right now, which I see that um, looking at it, and you guys should uh, go check this uh, check out the Kickstarter uh, for Lizard right now. And uh, so, could you tell us about uh, you know walk us through the beginning of Lizard? Hi, I'm Brad, and I want to make you a video game. Blizzard is a game for the Nintendo Entertainment System, but if you don't have one of those, it will also run on your PC or Mac. It's a platforming adventure about free exploration while wearing a lizard. You'll meet a variety of creatures, friendly and unfriendly, travel to many different places, and maybe try on a few other lizards if you can find them. The best way to get a sense of what this game will be is to play the demo, which is available right now check below for a download link. The demo is a substantial portion of the game ready to play on your NES, PC, Mac, or emulator. Development is well underway, and I've already taken care of the technical challenges involved in making a game for the NES. I've been a professional game developer for many years, but I'm also a member of the NES homebrew community, and I know how to build both hardware and software for this machine. So far, I have been happily self-funding the project, but I will need your help to finish it. To do this right, Lizard is going to need a cartridge release on the system it was made for, and to be able to do this cost-effectively, I have to cover a lot of it up front. I have set the funding goal as low as I can to produce the smallest viable production run of cartridges. This is a bare minimum, and it's not intended to recover what I've already spent on development, it's only what I need to be able to finish the project. Any additional funding will make it much easier for me to finish the game, so I will appreciate all further support above the minimum goal. So, thanks for listening to me. Please try the demo, and if this is something you want, make your pledge. 
and in a few months you'll be able to play Lizard. If you'd like to know more about me or the project, please read about it on the Kickstarter page or send me an email if you have a question. Thank you very much. Okay, so Lizard, um, it's a platform game. Uh, it's not about like going through levels. It's more about uh, sort of like an open world that you can explore and just sort of try out and see what happens. Um, so um, when you start at the game, you'll go through a door and you'll just you'll fall into this space. And you can go left or you can go right. And very quickly, it'll start branching out to more than that. You can go through a door or you can go up or down um, to different places. So there's like a forest off to one side and sort of some caves and some wet area off to the other side. And then beneath everything, there's, I guess, this ancient ruins, um, all made of stone blocks and stuff. And... So I wanted it to be, um, yeah, like I, I just wanted that sense of you can sort of go where you want. If some area is not working out for you right now, you can try to go somewhere else. Maybe you can find another way back around um, and get there eventually, or maybe eventually like you'll just get better about moving and stuff and you'll be able to get through there. Um, and so the idea is, eventually you find, uh, so you're, you're this little human and you're wearing a lizard. So you're sort of inside the lizard. And each lizard has um, its own ability. The one you start out with is called the Lizard of Knowledge. It doesn't actually, um, it's, it's maybe seems the least useful because all it can do is... Um, understand writing or understand thing. There's one thing that can talk to you at this point. There might be more in the final version. Um, but uh, yeah, at the moment, like there are these, um, people have been calling them monoliths, just a, a purple stone with a question mark on it. And only the lizard of knowledge can read these. But I don't know, there's sort of, I don't know if they're that useful to read, but they're, they're sort of um, part of the story of the world a little bit. Um, but the idea with that lizard is that it's sort of the most challenging one. If you can get to the end of the game with this one, um, because it doesn't have any powers that sort of have a physical effect on the world, it's, it's sort of like the, um, the challenge mode one. Uh, but other ones, like there's one that lets you bounce. So it had the lizard of bounce. It's got bouncy shoes. And this basically lets you bounce back up to a high area. So you could make like a long jump across an area and get to somewhere else. Um, so that's the kind of like physical power that most of the lizards have. Um, like there's one that can swim or there's one um, that can melt things with fire. Um, one has a surfboard. Um, just because I wanted to have a surfing level um, I don't know, like, 
one of the games that was really influential to me growing up, I had Battletoads for the oh. uh, for the Game Boy, and I it was like one of the first really hard games that I learned to beat. Like I felt accomplished getting through that. And then you should later have a trophy I played, for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, later I played the Nintendo one, and and it's it's much harder than the Game Boy one. And that that I didn't beat until like about two years ago. Um, and that I felt even more accomplished for that one. But um, now Lizard isn't Battletoads hard, is it? No. Well, um, I don't know. Maybe parts of it in the final game. Might be kind of hard. I don't, I'm not really aiming for Battletoads hard, but I do want some areas that are more challenging. Um, but in the way that you can sort of pick your own path, like you can go this way or that way. Um, and there are some areas that, you know, they might be really challenging one way, but if you find the right wizard to go through it, it should actually be pretty easy and straightforward. Um, so you'd have those two options to play it one way or the other. And, and maybe if you do it, you know, the, the more difficult way, you can bring a different power that sort of like lets you do something secret or whatever. Um, yeah, that's what I was looking at the, 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 at the screenshots. And it's cool, too, because, um, you know, you have... Because uh, you, you can get... It's not just the NES. You can um, have... You can get you have it for the PC and the Mac, and yeah. and you have demos too um, on it's uh, lizardnes.com right you can get the demos. Yep. That's the website. Yep. Um, yeah, for me, well, that was part of my uh, development process. Um, like writing assembly code for the Nintendo, or writing any assembly code in general. I mean. Um, it's it's so much more ver verbose. Like maybe it takes ten lines to do what you would do in one line of C code. Um, not always, but most of the time, it's just just like a lot of little things that happen. And if you want to change something, like a lot of the process of making a game is just iterating on it. Like you try something, does this work? Tweak it a little, play it again, tweak it a little, and then it gets better and better until you have something that's it's not bad, but um, doing that in assembly is really, um, really tedious. I don't think I, I could actually, it would just be much, much slower going than it is um, just writing the PC version, have, figuring out how all that works, and then once I'm pretty satisfied with it, I, I sort of translate it into Nintendo assembly. And that way, um, doing that, it's pretty straightforward. Because by that point, I know exactly what it needs to be. I don't have to spend time trying different things, rewriting you know, hundreds of lines of code to just try little tweaks to things. Um, but, you know, so at that point, I was like, you know, my, like my goal was to make a game for the Nintendo, but lots of people... Don't aren't comfortable with emulators. They don't use them all the time. So I'm like, you know, here's the PC version. You can just download and run it. I, I think that's easier for some people. Uh, other other people react a different way. They're like they think like, why well, even have the PC version? I, I want to play a Nintendo game. So I don't know. I feel like I'm 
addressing two different types of people with it, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, I could understand that, but I mean, I think it also gives different people, you know, an opportunity to try it out. I mean, there's yeah. there's a lot of people that obviously are going to want to go for that classic feel, and I think you you captured that with the platform feel and definitely the look, and also um, just the idea of having the different types of lizard the uh, to choose how you do things. And like you said, yeah, it may not be Battletoads hard, but it's not easy either. You actually have to think, which gives it the replayability. So having the different versions just gives more people the opportunity to try it, which, yeah. you know, like, like we were saying uh, before the show, with Kickstarter, with having different people have a chance uh, uh, to try something out, it just makes more sense to give more people a chance uh, to try it. So, you know, I think that uh, fans and people who will look at your project will understand that, hey, you know, it's good to give more people the opportunity to try a game than just say, hey, I'm going to be, you know, yeah. Mr. Hardcore NES only. Oh, um, actually, I, I forgot what I brought up Battletoads um, was because that game, like, every level was a different thing, which was really neat. Um, but I was saying, like, I had the Lizard of Surf, uh, I wanted to have a surfing level just because, like, just the, the sense of relief and and variety that having those segments in Battletoads brought to that game. And it happens in other games, too. Like, there are a lot of games with a surfing level just sort of thrown in somewhere. Um, Shinobi 3 on the Genesis uh, was probably my favorite Genesis game. Like, that has a really neat surfing level. Um, even some modern games like Journey, there's, there's like, a... You go downhill on a on sort of a sand surfing for a while, and I, I think it's just good to have a different kind of gameplay um, that fits in there. Oh yeah, definitely. Now you have still 20 days to go, and like you uh, like you were saying, um, you're close to your funding, but we definitely uh, need people to go out there and, and get this made because it, it looks pretty awesome. But I I now I didn't address this at the beginning. But I have to address this now. In your the in the profile picture, and also on your Twitter, and in the right here, the awesome lizard suit. What's the story <laughs> behind that? Or is it dinosaur suit? I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. Well, probably you'd find it in a catalog as a dinosaur suit, but I think of it as a lizard. Um. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had that profile picture for like a year. Well, I've been working on the game for about a year. I haven't been... I've been working on it full-time for more like the scale of months, but I, like the game started a while back, and I was working on it like very slowly for a long time. Um, so I don't know. Like this, this brings me back to that, you know, that... Halloween costume, five years old. It makes me think of, it makes me think of Bubble Bobble and and uh, other things like that. I I had a, a pet iguana growing up actually, um, so I don't. I think lizards are neat. <laughs> um, we go to a corner store wearing that. You know, like to go, like get a bite to eat. Uh, I haven't got outside with it too much, <laughs> but. Uh, I have been I have been in public with it, yeah. Um, but yeah, it also, also it's a nice warm outfit, and it's a little cold in Toronto this time of year. 
That's true. I bet it would it would be comfortable, especially if it's cold. <laughs> but that's cool. I mean, I mean, it goes it goes you know with 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 the game and everything. So it's cool to have the whole profile. It's like you 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 make the game and you can be the game mascot. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, as as far as um, you know, you were t talking about music. Do you have like you know, let's say maybe a top three soundtracks that are your favorite as far as uh, maybe let's say NES uh, soundtracks? Um. Hmm. Uh, okay, so on the Atari ST, um, there's a port of an arcade game called Toki, where you're like this ape and you spit fireballs and stuff. Um, but the the soundtrack for the port for the Atari ST and the Amiga, um, the guy working on it, um, his name is Pierre-Eric Loriot, I believe, and he did this amazing expanded sound. Like, the arcade version just had two songs, I think, but in the Atari ST version, every level has a song, and he uses, like, all the features of that chip. Uh, like, it's not just... Um, like the Atari ST, it has um, I don't an AY38910. Maybe those numbers don't mean anything to most people, but it had three square waves. But it also had some weird hardware. Uh, one that was supposed to make it easy to make just like song sounds that fall off, but you could abuse it to make like really buzzy bass sounds. Um, and there were some like weird combinations of tones you could make just by connecting channels together on that ship, and and he used like every part of that ship to make that soundtrack. And it's it's loud and it's heavy and it's hard. Um, that's a really good soundtrack to check out. Toki on the Atari ST. Um, so that's one I really liked. Um, what's a good one? I really loved like the Super Metroid soundtrack, and there are a lot of stuff on the on the Super Nintendo that has inspired me, especially like, you know, the Final Fantasies, Nobuo Uematsu. Definitely. Uh, actually, Secret of Mana. That's ah, probably yes. my favorite soundtrack. That might be my favorite game soundtrack of all time. Uh, Hiroki Kikuta. Um, yeah, that game was... It had beautiful art, beautiful music. Um, the battle system was a little bit clunky, but at the same time... Like, because it wasn't turn-based. I think it was, like, I hadn't seen an RPG from Squaresoft that was like that before, and you could play it with a friend. Like, it was just, it was really neat that way. Um, even though, you know, it wasn't, it felt sort of a little, not fully formed, but it was good enough to play through the game. <laughs> um, just a lot of weird stuff, like you swing a sword, nothing happens, and I don't know. But that was, that was a great game. Um, just what? that sense of oh yeah, definitely. magical places to go and, and just, just beauty everywhere. I don't know. What about overall uh, favorite classic game, which is always hard, especially if you, you know, like old school retro gaming, but um, if you had to choose one, you know, what would you say Computers, consoles, all together. What what would, what would be, you know, one of your top classic favorite classic games? Um, one of my favorite games. Uh, well, I already mentioned Super Metroid, but uh, there's some other games that have, have meant a lot to me. Um, 
Prince of Persia 2, not not the one for uh, like a Xbox, PS2 era, but Prince of Persia 2 for the PC. I think it came out early 90s. Um, Prince of Persia was sort of like a landmark game in its own right. Um, but the sequel, it's like he took everything that was good about Prince of Persia 2 and maintained it and then expanded on all of that. You have... Um, you have all these like cinematic moments in it, of of um, you know like fighting off all these pirates at the beginning of the game, like they they they're chasing you and you you leap onto a ship and stow away, and it's all through the gameplay of that game. Like there are cutscenes too, but like a lot of a lot of those moments are still told through the gameplay, and. Uh, it's just a very beautiful game. Like, it had a great and unique soundtrack, as well. Um, it even had uh, like the tuning system it used. Um, I don't know. Not not a lot of people probably think about tuning systems, but uh, it's something I've thought about in music, where you know you have this twelve tone scale, the twelve notes on a piano that most people are used to, but those are arbitrary. You can actually choose totally different uh, sets of scales, and this game has a soundtrack that uses that, and I, I can't think of any other games that do that intentionally. I mean, like, there's like 2600 games where just the precision on the hardware is so bad that you get weird scales, but uh, yeah, this one uses it to great effect. Like, it gets that, um, that feel... Um, and it's sort of based on some authentic sort of like Persian music, like the way they tune their instruments in the traditional music. Um, but it, yeah, it's really neat. Um, so that's a game that I really loved. Yeah, Prince of Persia was definitely. I remember back in old uh, days, um, especially in uh, in, in when, I was, when I was in school, going and playing the original Prince of Persia, uh, Commander Keen. Yeah. <laughs> playing those old oh, games, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I should have been in going to my uh, next class, but I'm gonna I'm gonna play that instead. But yeah, those games <laughs> are awesome. <laughs> but um, the game is uh, Lizard, and you can find it on Kickstarter, and you know you can also check it out on LizardNES.com. You can also check out uh, uh, the a demo for the NES, also the PC and the Mac, and uh, you guys gotta go help get this Kickstarter funded because. You know, as as I keep harping on you guys, you're always talking about wanting to see cool games, independent games, and here's another awesome one right now. It's doing well, but we want to see it funded. 20 days to go. Let's get it done. We want to see more than its goal, all right? So go over there, help Brad out, and uh, Brad, thanks for coming on the show and, and talking with us. We had a great time. Yeah, thanks. It's been good. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to another Gamer Profile show. We will be back very soon with another episode. But remember, until next time, our motto, never stop gaming. See you next time.